Church. My name's Nathan. Glad you're here. Come on in. Welcome. If there's a basket under your seat because you're, you're near the end of the row, would you grab it and pass it down? And if you're new with us and would like to fill out a card with your information that would enable us to connect with you, that would be super. Also, if you have prayer requests or anything like that, those are for you if you like to use them. Also, raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. In a little bit, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8, which is a letter in the New Testament written by Paul. So you can raise your hand and someone will hand a Bible to you there. While you're doing that, um, let me just share a little bit about uh, something most of you have heard about. Um, in, as you know, there's a couple of big earthquakes that have happened in Nepal. It's been all, you know about this. Um, I often feel just exhausted to the point of being paralyzed when it comes to addressing and responding to all of the needs and the issues and the tragedies and all of the stuff that we become aware of in our culture, um, it, can be, it, can be over, it can be overwhelming. Can you try to get back to that? Maybe that's me, thanks. Um, however, um, we're part, Emmaus is part of a network of churches called the Church of the Nazarene in 164 different world areas, and they actually contacted the pastors this week because the need in Nepal is so intense that they're, they're doing like extra work to try to mobilize the network of churches um, in Nepal, there are apparently a million kids who are displaced. Um, we have 300 churches there, 300 Nazarene churches there. Ten of them were crushed because they're right in the main uh, city, uh, Kathmandu. Is that what it's called? Kathmandu. Um, so what they've done is they've, in, in addition to unloading, so anyway, the, the Nazarene church has like a first responder ministry called Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, like the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, maybe you've heard of those. And they are setting up, in addition to unloading food and all kinds of um, tents and things like that, they've set up 13 child development centers that are doing education and nurture and feeding and medical aid and stuff like that. So anyway, I wanted to just share this with you briefly. Later in the morning when we, when we receive our offering, I'll give you an opportunity, if you'd like, to give to this through our network, through the Nazarene Church. Um, I did yesterday. just feel like this is something that um, I want to be a part of at least helping in a little bit. So that'll come uh, a little bit more um, information about that in a little bit. I wanted to kind of plant that seed. All right, let's pray together as we, as we begin, and um, we'll jump right into the Word. Lord, we want to say uh, that we are grateful for this time and place set apart uh, to encounter and commune with you. I thank you for the church. Pray that we could be the church for one another today. As we lean in, as we learn about, and ultimately as we want to experience your spirit with us, God, would you enable the preaching of your word to make a difference in the lives of your people? May I, may we be deeply and profoundly affected by the fullness of the gospel. And may God, may your spirit dwell here with and in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when Jesus, we're, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, kind of as part of our grand series on the Apostles' Creed. And um, so we've been talking about the Spirit for a couple of weeks. When Jesus initially teaches his disciples about the Holy Spirit, you can read about the Holy Spirit in just all throughout the Bible, but when Jesus initially rolls out the teaching of the Spirit to his disciples, he makes this very clear and really interesting distinction. This is what he says. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. There's that word paraclete. Another counselor, sometimes it's translated, another comforter. Carmen and I preached on that, sort of that side of the Spirit yesterday. Another advocate to be with you forever. And then he names 
him the spirit of truth. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And then here's the critical distinction that Jesus gives. For he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus seems to be talking about almost degrees of relational intimacy that are possible with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can be unknown or the Spirit can be known. He can live with us. He can even live within us. So this is the distinction I want to talk about this morning. And this may be a little bit strange to think of a spirit, the spirit of God being with versus being in. But the concept's super, super simple in, in general. In other words, this is a picture of with, right? This is with. And this is a picture of in. Okay, so this is with, and this is in. You get it? Robin still doesn't get it. Oranges with a glass. Versus the, the, the essence of the orange in. So I may be the first person to ever compare the Holy Spirit to fruit, at least citrus. Um, no, I'm not actually. So clearly, uh, the experience that Jesus desires for all of his followers is this, that, that we would have the Spirit of God residing in us, abiding in us, that we would become, this is another phrase that's used, temples, human, not rock or stone, but human temples of the very presence of God, that the presence of God would live and abide in us, that we would receive, as Luke says in Acts, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, or that we would be given, as Jesus says in another place, the baptism, that we would be baptized, like think drenched, think consumed by the, not just water, but by the Holy Spirit of God. This is what we need, friends. This is what we need. This is what many of us want, not just to learn more about the Holy Spirit from an academic standpoint, but to experience the Spirit of God very personally and very practically. If it's not personal and if it's not practical, then it remains academic and we look at it, but we never really step into it and experience it. What do you mean? I mean that I don't want to become just good at obeying a certain set of religious rules. That doesn't interest me. There's no life in that. I want to experience the presence of God intimately, so personally that I can know what the Spirit wants me to do, that I can actually even be compelled to do what the Spirit wants me to do, that I will actually want to serve God, that this will not just be something that I feel like this weird sense of obligation, but that I actually will be sort of drawn, led, compelled, that I will be animated or fueled by the power of God in me, drawing me to God. That's what I mean. In a similar way, I'm not, I'm not just interested in, nor am I especially confident in my abilities to make a difference in the world, like in my own strength, or my own abilities, uh, by my own insight. I actually need a source of power outside of myself affecting me inside in order for my work to, to matter. I, I, don't, I don't know the right words. I need, I need God's words to come through me. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't have the ability to heal. I need God's healing power to work through me. I don't know what to do as a parent, as a pastor, 
in and of myself. I need another power outside of myself to come in and work through me. In short, I need the Holy Spirit of God. That's what I need. I need God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ, whichever biblical name you want to choose, because there are several, not just alongside me, not just next to me, but seriously, could I actually have that power inside me, operating from within me? As we read in the book of Acts, beginning in the story of Pentecost, which is a big feast, and then through the rest of Acts, and all through the history of the church, there's this distinct shift that takes place in the lives of Christ followers when the Spirit moves from being with them to being in them. They are generally speaking two things that happen. Two things that happen when people are baptized in the Spirit, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Two effects of being filled with the Spirit. Some may see them as the same, one and the same. Others may see them as two sides of the same coin. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about them individually just for the sake of clarity, even though I think that they do happen together. We see many and varied examples of these two effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit in New Testament scripture. We see them in early stories of the early church, in church history, and even in present day experiences that people will share uh, with me. They are these. First, when a follower of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a different quality of passion. There's, a, there's a, a different uh, quality of desire, a different intensity of love, a different purity of devotion. And secondly, when a follower of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a different quality of power. There's a different spiritual ability. There's a different quality of supernatural impact that is possible coming from the believer uh, and going into the world. Or, put another way, When a follower of Jesus receives or is filled by or is baptized with the Holy Spirit, this distinct change happens, and there are signs of that change both on the inside in terms of love and passion and devotion to Jesus and in terms of what happens on the outside in terms of ministry to others. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I will remember the Feast of Pentecost, the disciples' celebration of that feast, where they're together early in the book of Acts, and in this big, apparently in one prayer meeting, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and in one short period of time, move from being full of fear to full of courage, uh, move from being kind of unsure of what to do next to just unstoppable. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. Today, what I want to talk about, so that's kind of the outside. We'll focus more on on what we typically associate with being filled with the Spirit in terms of the power that the Christians begin to have in ministry. Okay, I'm going to save that for now. Today, what I want to do is not not to splice this into so many little details that we just kill it like a cat in anatomy class or whatever, Um, but in order hopefully to bring clarity, wasn't anatomy class, what was it? Was it? I wasn't smart enough. I took, the, I took like, nutrition or something. Um, uh, but what I want to do in, in this today is to talk about the change that takes place within, within a believer, on the inside, when they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? What is that change? Well, simply put, it is a shift from, from have-do to want-to. There is a fundamental shift that takes place, a a shift in basic motivation 
for your religious experience or for your spirituality, for your devotion, that could, I think can be characterized as shifting from motivated by duty or motivated by fear to motivated by love. It's just a basic shift. It's a fundamental change that takes place within the life of a person when they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Put very simply, they love God. They're moved by love for God. Simple question that I want to ask us to consider this morning. It's so simple, it, we're just, some of us are going to miss it. This is it. I just want to invite you to consider this for a few minutes this morning. Here's the simple question. Do you love God? That's all I'm asking today. Do you love God? Do you love him? I'm not asking if you believe in him. Most of you here probably believe in him. I'm not asking, are you committed to him? Most of you here are committed to him. I'm asking a different question. Did you hear the question? I'm asking, do you love him? Do you love him? Is there, do you sense an affection for God inside you? Sometimes I'll ask this question when I meet with people. Do you, do you love Jesus? And often they'll say this. They'll say, well, I'm trying. Right. What if it's not about trying to love? What if love is a gift that is given and simply received? What if it's not something we conjure up, we work ourselves up to? I remember um, falling in love with my wife, Carmen. And that's what it was. It was effortless. It was apparently unstoppable, like falling, just sort of falling. And I'm not saying that our relationship didn't ever take work. I'm not saying that we ever didn't have to hit the pause and figure out some communication stuff. But I am saying this. I didn't try to love her, right? We... When we began talking seriously about marriage and I would consult with people, good friends of ours, get their advice, and they would say this. They'd say, well, do you love her? And I don't ever remember saying, gosh, I'm trying. I'm just really trying. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I loved her. I loved her. It was like my heart had been filled with affection for her. It wasn't just this love-struck, romantic, college kid thing. It wasn't just 20 years ago, either. I still love her. I, I, I actually, truly, it's just a matter of fact. There is love in my heart for her. I love her. Sometimes showing that love, sometimes lining up my actions with what's true is, is challenging. I fail at that. Right? I fail to live the truth of what is actually inside me. But the simple truth is this. I actually, truly, really do. If you peeled it all away, you would find there, there is love in my heart for, for her. So when I ask the question, do you love God? Do I love God? I'm not asking um, if you're trying to love God. I'm not asking, do you think you should love God. I'm asking a much more fundamental question. I'm asking, do you love him? 
And if that question causes you to pause, if that question causes you to doubt, if that question causes you to sort of hesitate or maybe think something like, you know, our relationship just, it just isn't really kind of like that, that's actually really exciting to me, if that's the way you're thinking right now. That's actually really exciting to me because I know that there is for you huge potential for growth in your relationship with God. I know that you could actually fall in love with God, and I know that God can actually do that in you because I'm convinced that God can fill you with his Holy Spirit right? and enable you to, to, be, to be full of love uh, 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 for God. Not by trying hard but by experiencing something that Christians since the beginning have counted on. In fact, it's a fundamental part of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Well, it animates the entire, it fuels the entire Christian experience. Let me show you just a couple of, experience, a couple of examples of where the writers in the Bible talk about this experience. There's a prophet in the Old Testament named Ezekiel, and God, in, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, I'll put this all on the screen, um, he says this, God says this through the prophet. He says this, I will, whoops, um, there it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you, I will, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Sounds like forgiveness of sins, doesn't it? Sounds like kind of a prophecy about forgiveness. God says, I will make you clean, right? Take care of the dirty, make you clean. But that's not all God says. God continues, and he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, and get this, I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all of my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers you will be my people, I will be your God. So in addition to giving us this gift of, of forgiveness, God is talking about this coming gift of the Holy Spirit, and God compares this gift of a, uh, to a removal of a hard heart and the giving of a whole new heart, and with this new heart comes what? Comes this desire. The new heart comes with a new desire, a new passion, this new longing for what? for a relationship with God. It's not a have to, it's not a I'm trying to. It's for uh, to be the person that they, that they were created to be, to live in the land of their forefathers, right? To, to stand up and live as God created them to, and then to be in a relationship with God that is best characterized, frankly, as, a, as like a marriage, right? I will be your God. You will be my people. We're in a covenant together. God loves us. We... Hopefully we can embrace that to some level. The exciting part about this is that God also enables us by the filling of the Holy Spirit to love him too, to love him back. Uh, we're, we're, our office is downtown, as you know now, and so more people are stopping by than they used to when we were out on the edge of town. And so somebody stopped by recently and I was there and we got into a conversation. And uh, I was talking to him about Jesus, because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> And then the person said this. He said, I know Jesus uh, died for me. I know that. So I'm really trying hard to live for him. I'm trying to do right, he said. I know I should, he said. And I said, you're right. You should live for him. You should do the right thing. 
I should do the right thing. I should live for it. But the gospel's better than that. Do you know that? There's more to the gospel than that, right? This is not just another version of be good people, right? The, the, the good news is better than just let me try hard and do right. You can be filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can live in you and can move you to want a relationship with God, right? And so when this happens, there's this shift from I should do the right thing to I want to do the right thing. And when I fail to do the right thing, it actually grieves me. It makes me sad. When I fail, which I do, I'm actually, why am I sad? Because I actually love God. So it hurt, I'm like, ah, I'm sorry, right, when I hurt him. Here's a New Testament example of this idea in Romans chapter 8. And this is a little longer, so um, I'm going to read it out of the Bible here, and I encourage you to look it up if you'd like, Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and he's contrasting two things. He's con contrasting a sinful nature of humanity, this propensity to do evil, uh, with the Holy Spirit who can live inside of us. So there's our basic, carnal, fleshy, selfish, self-centered, sinful, fallen nature. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which Paul is saying can live inside of us and can motivate, animate, fuel, shape us. Make us new is the way he puts it. Here's what he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Paul writes, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance, think like in harmony with the spirit, have their minds set on what the spirit desires. He's going to go back and forth here. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives inside you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. He is not possessed by Christ, right? If, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit put to, but but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because listen to this. This is where this is where it gets good. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the theme that comes through this passage is the power of the Spirit 
within a person to free that person from slavery and to fuel that person towards a relationship that is best explained as being a child of God. And Paul says it's by the Spirit that we call out Abba Father. He uses this familiar daddy kind of language for the God of the universe. He says that we cry out like he's adopted us, so we call him daddy. He uses this familiar, endearing term. When my kid, friends, when my kids feel loved, when they feel secure, I can tell they're young enough, it's really easy to tell. When they feel secure, when they feel loved, when they feel they want uh, closeness to me, they call me daddy. They call me daddy. They want affection. They want to be affectionate with me. They're not trying. They want, they want to be close. Now, when our, when our, the, the rare times when our relationship gets reduced to do your chores, punishment, rules, that's when they say, say sometimes, yes, father, right? <laughs> or my boys will say, sometimes my boys will say, yes, sir. Right? The, the good news, friends, is that the relationship that God is talking about that is possible for followers of Christ goes so far beyond a yes, sir kind of relationship, right? We've talked about reverence and awe and respect, and that's also, that's so important. But also in there is this, this daddy, this familiarity, this affection that's available, right? The, the an- your question to the answer, do you love God? It doesn't need to be. I'm trying. Because the Holy, the Holy Spirit can live in us, can move us, make us want to fully obey God, make us want to live for Him. Now, there's this, let me introduce this interesting dynamic real quick about this idea of being filled with the Spirit that is articulated by Paul. We've just read Paul. Uh, in another letter to the Ephesians, he articulates this interesting dynamic where he says this. He says, be continually filled with the Spirit. And there's a lot of writing about this because the verb that he uses, the tense, it's one of these grammar things, the tense of the verb that he uses that's translated continually. In other words, be filled with the Spirit over and over and over and over again. There's an American evangelist from the 19th century named D.L. Moody. At the time of his death, he had preached to more people than any human ever before. He preached to over a million people before the microphone was invented. So think about that, all over the world. Power. And being filled with the Spirit was one of D.L. Moody's themes. He loved preaching about the power and the purity of heart that comes in the fullness of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And his favorite uh, metaphor to use, because he loved this text specifically and felt like it unlocked things for people, was this idea of a a, a leaky bucket. We are the leaky bucket, right? He he would say. And and so in, in some way, even though we have this love for God, we're still in the world and we're still struggling with sin and there's still this 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 um life experience that is draining to us. We're we're just drained of, in a sense, the, the, the power and the presence of God. Now, I don't know how literally we should push this idea, but I think that we can relate well, I can relate to this need for continual renewal. Can anybody relate to that? Like this, I continually need refreshment from God. I continually need power and love from God. In other words, that this being filled with the Spirit is not necessarily this one-time event that I hope I got and I hope it was right, 
And if it did, and I'm kind of hosed if I didn't, there are some who believe that there's really no need to be filled with the Spirit because we already have the Spirit if we're believers. Other side of the spectrum, there are those who believe that being filled with the Spirit is a once-and-done kind of experience, right? And, and they, talk about this, they talk about being saved in a moment and a time and a place, and they talk about being filled with the Spirit in a moment and a time and a place, and it's very specific. That's the way it happens for some people. Like, there's this moment. Their life is, is their signposts and moments. The truth is, if you take... The truth is, there are passages in Scripture which, which seem to give support to both of these. Paul talks about when you become a Christian, you receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Really strange language, I think. But you do, you get the Spirit when you become a Christian, in a sense. And then there's also passages which seem to show this like radical one-time like fullness of the Spirit, like baptism of the Spirit. And there's signs and wonders that go along with it. But I think if you look at the Bible as a whole, if you look at Old Testament prophecy, if you look at the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus, the early record of Acts, and the pastoral epistles all through the rest of the Bible, you come away with a much more fluid experience or perspective, And because it, it's just tough to put the Spirit in a box. You might as well try to box up wind, right? In other words, we can't really draw a diagram of how it must happen, has to happen, always has, and will always, and look this exact same way for everybody. What is made clear over and over again, though, is this radical expectation. I think it's a radical expectation that the followers of Jesus will be filled with the Spirit of God and will be filled with the Spirit of God continually. This is amazing to me. There's this, like, perpetual vibrance, this ongoing life and power and love that seems to be expected of, of Christians, that we ourselves can be temples of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit, not our Spirit, but the Spirit of God in us can move us to be fully devoted, fully sanctified, fully set apart, all God's, and God is all in us. Now, how, I want to talk about how next week. How are we filled with the Spirit? We'll talk about that a little bit more next week, but just briefly, let me just say this. We need to just ask, and we, and we need to surrender. Whoops. There's a story in Acts where Paul is traveling around preaching, and he comes up to this group of disciples, it says. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say this to him, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. In another place, Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. In another place, Jesus is saying, if you, though you're wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, if your kid asks for a bread, you don't give him a rock. Then Jesus says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It seems to be like you don't climb Everest, right? You just, you just ask. You ask for the Spirit, and you surrender. The stories that I hear all the time from people about being filled with the Spirit, they, they kind of go something like this. I came to a place in my life where I finally decided I am done trying. I needed to surrender this to, to God. Sometimes it's I need to surrender my whole life to God. And sometimes they've, they've done that. But now life has grown. Life's expanded. Life's no longer simple because we're not 12 anymore. Now we're 42 and life's way more complex. So there's more stuff I need to surrender to God, right? 
So not to take anything away from an initial point of surrender, but there's this need for ongoing surrender. And the stories I hear all over the place are like, I, so I gave this over to God, and when I surrendered that to God, I felt this sense of just this fullness of the presence of God. And in that moment, something happened, and it changed from I'm trying, I'm trying, I know I should, I know I should, to I, I love God, I want to live for him. Ask and surrender. Do you love God? Can you testify to an actual affection in your heart for God? Have you, have you ever asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Have you asked God lately, fill me again with your Holy Spirit? I know I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray this for myself. I pray this for my kids almost every night. Jesus, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Is there anything, there's the ask part and the surrender part, is there anything that you, you just need to let go? I don't mean sit on the couch, but I mean stop trying to fix. Stop saying it's all about, I gotta just, is there anything you need to surrender? I wonder if you surrender and if you ask, if the Lord would fill you with his Holy Spirit, fill you with love for him again. Would you stand up with me? just want to give us a chance. Uh, Melissa, yeah, thanks for coming up. Uh, I just want to take a minute. Um, I'm running out of Sundays to talk about this, but I'm not in a place where I'm going to say, when you're filled with the Spirit, it needs to look like this. It's got to feel exactly like this, because I've, I'm scared to put the Spirit in a box. I don't want to say it has to do or look, but I am convinced that a fundamental change can take place. And it can take place not necessarily in a way that has to be dramatic, but in a way that just is simply authentic and sincere. And so this morning as Melissa plays and before we take a short break, I just want to invite us just to rest with our eyes closed, maybe our hands out if that's okay, if that's comfortable for you. Um, or maybe if it's uncomfortable for you, you actually should do it and say, uh, and, and I just want to give you a chance just to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you up. I don't understand it all, but I know I struggle with motivation. I know I don't necessarily love you as I hear other, whatever, whatever. Holy Spirit of the living God, fill me up again. Fall fresh on me. Renew a right spirit within me. Lead me into the way everlasting. Baptize me in your spirit. things that we're afraid to let go of, that we would let go of them, that give us grace to be courageous enough to say, it's this, this is the thing that's in the way, and, and I need to surrender that, I need to give that away.
Jesus, I pray that we would be filled with love for you. That beyond other things like activities and responsibilities, there'd be this love that would fuel us. It'd be a whole different category of motivation. Well, I love God. He's filled me with love for him. Lord, please fill us, this church, with your Holy Spirit. May each of us and us collectively be a temple of your Spirit where you're free to live and move and have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple people...